So uh, for this very special episode of the podcast, I am going to switch on my video. <gasps> oh my God. So it is a very special episode of the podcast because uh, it is Rue's birthday episode today. Woo! Aww. Yay. Which, which basically means that uh, we, we have cake. <gasps> so I'll just I'll show that to the camera. <laughs> you got me a cake. And both me and Anna have what we have apparently found called party blowers. But unfortunately, Rue, you don't get any of this. Uh, there is no cake for you. I, I appreciate all of this. I would have been even more impressed if you'd been like, and go to your front door because there's a cake waiting for you. <laughs> you know, the logistics of working that out are actually quite difficult. And it'd probably take two weeks to get there, right? Yeah, you have to prepare more than just this morning. So Th- this was this was amazing. I... Matt, you always seem to pull off uh, wonderful birthday surprises for me. I think I'm safe in saying that no one has yet topped the lordship that you uh, bestowed upon me a few years ago, though. That was <laughs> the the official lordship uh, uh, was was something I received in the mail a few years ago. And it was amazing. I am I am officially the Lord, the Lord over a three foot by three foot plot of land uh, in England. It's incredible. Specifically in, in Scotland, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, oops. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But either way, yeah, no, this was this is wonderful. Thank you both very much. I appreciate this. Your cake tastes delicious, by the way. Oh, I'm so glad. Is it uh, what does please describe it to me in as much detail as possible? (laughs) We we both have different cakes. I have the cheapest cake possible with what looks like happy birthday written in blood (laughs) on the front. (laughs) I have like a fudgy cakey brownie mm. like yeah oh, real good amazing that sounds great well thank you both this is this is a big surprise i appreciate it we also tried to get a barbershop quartet for your birthday <laughs> uh, after your comments last week about you know how you will only accept jingles if they're a barbershop quartet turns out barbershop quartets are really expensive wow yeah we were naive we were Wow. Amazing. I didn't think that they would be. I'm I'm kind of happy to hear that they are. I'm hoping it's the thought that counts with, with barbershop quartets uh, and not the actual undertaking of getting them to sing happy birthday to you. Uh, it, it's definitely the thought that counts. The fact that you tried uh, means a lot. <laughs> I've also just noticed on the birthday cake that I have, there is no I. It's just birthday cake? Bur- birthday. Birthday. Yeah, that's pretty odd. Hmm. All right. Well, I, I love a good birthday as much as anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to blow our party blowers again. Yeah, one more time. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they're two toned is even better. <laughs> My neighbor's gonna hate me. Should we dive into some Watchtower Weekly? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, Graham Cluley previous guest of the show has uh has a nice post on his website a man is bringing a clash action suit against apple in california complaining that 2fa takes too much time i mean this is absolutely not my experience of apple's 2fa i cannot find my device quicker than they can ping it uh yeah i agree is it slanderous if i call this gentleman a little too precious for his own good for uh for bringing a suit like this i don't think so it's pretty strange yeah this is a bit much this is a little uh litigation happy as far as i'm concerned here 
Yeah. So a man is bringing a class action against Apple in California complaining the 2FA takes uh, between two to five minutes to complete. I will be impressed if there's many people in this class because that's, again, not my experience. It It's very fast. It It asks me for a code, and by the time I pull up any of my devices, the code is on all of them. So I, I, th- I wonder whether it's part of this is a problem with how it just works works right so apple's theory of of you don't need settings you don't need to be able to reset stuff you don't need to be able to you know go into your your account and look at all the details it it just works which is when it doesn't just work it feels like that problem exists on every machine rather than just yours so i wonder if that's at play here yeah it's possible yeah i mean he's saying that apple enabled 2fa on his account without his explicit consent so do they do that now which that's another one i don't well okay i don't that's not been my experience either i very explicitly had to go and turn it on uh and there was a whole bunch of of setup in order to get that done i do remember at some point being uh them sort of guiding me into it with no no way to sort of not do it at one point but i don't know this is kind of a bananas story i i don't quite see the reasoning behind this so we we have another story as well which is that you know another one of these kind of listening devices that that does other things in your home Uh, apparently there's one that has a secret microphone uh, and this is a a a google product Uh, it's it's nest secure they didn't tell anybody that they had a an additional microphone in there. See, I love this story. I think this is great because Google just one day they're like, surprise, there's a microphone. Aren't you excited? And and everyone was horrified, <laughs> uh, which I think is just so great. Like they tried to like market it and make a big deal out of it. And people were n- not having it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it was all about adding a new voice control feature to its uh, home alarm product. Yeah, the fact that it had been in there the whole time. It's just like, oh, remember that teddy bear that I gave you? Surprise, there was a camera in it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't get creepier than this. Just the the fact that it made it through to production with a microphone without that being disclosed is kind of gross. Yeah. You know what one of the things that I I sort of I like to repeat is um always assume positive intent and uh, don't don't assume malfeasance where negligence is is just likely at, is as likely at play and this is one of those cases where like i'm not sure that they were being sort of sneaky and underhanded i think that this was someone who had this great idea they're like we'll put a microphone in it and then after the after the the software is updated then we can announce this new feature that nobody knew they had it'll be everyone will be so excited uh and instead like i said it sort of blew up in their face um the on google google admits the on-device microphone was never intended to be a secret and should have been listed in the tech specs. This was an error on our part. I'm, I'm guessing this was just a case where they shipped the hardware before the software was ready and they didn't want to talk about the microphone before there was a feature that could take advantage of it. Yeah, and, um, you know, what they wanted the microphone to do was not only voice control, but, you know, do things like offer the ability to detect the sound of things like broken glass. So... Like there was a, uh, you know, an element of the security that they were trying to to provide here. It was a stupid thing for them to do. I think they got, you know, taken over the coals for it. I just enjoy the um, name of this article title. That's sorry. We didn't mean to keep that secret microphone a secret. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rue. Yes, Matt. We came up with a name 
for the the segment that last week we didn't have a name for where we go through something and you know explain it and talk about it okay yeah some element of security that that perhaps otherwise we don't generally talk about all right but we're gonna call it the big topic the big topic yeah the reason why i like this is it sounds like 90s you know hard rock radio where someone's going in and they've got like an echo i'm I'm hoping anna you can put like an echo on this and it's like the big topic oh dear that's the correct response, Anna, is, oh, dear. Yeah, um, this is like the jingle thing all over again. It really is. Look, the people were right. They want jingles. So an alternate viewpoint, Matt, um, and now I've got sort of a sample size of two you know, between the jingle and this, um, is that you have bad ideas sometimes. Uh, and, and I think that this is one of those times. Again, your track record's not great lately. We're going to right. have to do something about this. So does that mean you're taking the big topic this week? Uh, yeah, Matt, you want me to explain it to you like you're five? <laughs> no, I want you to cover the big topic. Uh, oh, all right. So, Matt, this week we're going to go over uh, why is Apple Pay more secure? Now, uh, for those that don't know, Apple Pay is a, a touch-based payment system where uh, you can go into your, your iOS device, your phone, or your watch, and you can add your credit card to Apple Pay. So you could take your Visa or MasterCard or American Express and say, I'm going I'm to add this to Apple Pay. And from then on out, you can keep your wallet in your pocket and you can activate Apple Pay on your device. And so when you're going through the, the grocery store checkout, you, you activate Apple Pay, you authenticate with Face ID or with Touch ID, and then you just hold your device, your phone or your watch near the payment pad and it Ba-dings at you and you've just paid for your groceries or, or whatever else. What I found interesting since I started using this was that Apple Pay randomizes your credit card number so that when you get your receipt back, the last four digits on the receipt is the card that you paid with. If you used Apple Pay does not match your credit card at all. It's completely separate. And so instead of using your your like just your card number, Apple is actually in the background creating sort of a tokenization method and it that generates this random credit card for you. And the merchant doesn't ever get your your credit card number. And so this device account number, it's completely unique to your device and your card, and, and no one else can use it. And this number is stored on on your device. So on uh, watch and, and iOS devices, uh, there's a thing called the Secure Enclave chip, which is actually a piece of hardware that can hold secrets isolated from the rest of, of, of nearly everything on the device uh, that can only be accessible with uh, biometric uh, authentication. And so it makes it very difficult for somebody to get the number. And even if they got the number, it's useless because it's completely random. And then on top of that, you know, I mentioned earlier that because Apple Pay uses Touch ID or Face ID, uh, even if someone were to steal your device, they still don't have access to this stuff because these things are safe behind your your face or, or your fingerprint. Even with your device stolen, they can't use it to make payments. So when you pay someone with Apple Pay, you've authorized a payment using Touch ID or Face ID. Uh, the secure Enclave chip transmits your unique device account number along with a few other details, including a one-time transaction code. Everything is encrypted. Uh, even if an attacker were listening to the traffic, there's no transaction details or anything else. Uh, it's it's all completely protected in that manner. Uh, and the information remains encrypted until it reaches your credit card company. And then assuming that everything is good, the transaction's approved and, and processed. So what's kind of amazing, if you tr- sort of take a step back and look at that, is that all of that stuff happens in the blink of an eye. When you bring up 
Apple Pay on your device. It's very quickly recognized, very quickly applied. Like it's even faster than swiping a card or, or, or inserting the chip and, and going with the pin. And there's a ton that's happening under the hood to sort of keep that that transaction safe. Uh, so Apple Pay, let's let's just go through the summary for a second. Apple Pay is more secure because theft prevention is baked in. A typical thief can't use Apple Pay from your device because they can't get past Touch ID or Face ID. Also, the store where you shop has no information about you. It completely randomizes you out of their system. So they don't know who you are or where you live or what your card number is or, or anything else uh, unless you've actually handed over a physical, like a rewards card or, or something else. And then you don't have to worry about your credit card number being being sort of written down or scanned or skimmed it's it's a really really nice convenient safe way to pay for stuff that's really awesome yeah and the idea of just you know walking around and, and tapping in contactless is is something that you know we've had in in england for a, a fair amount of time I, I know it's only just kind of coming to everywhere in in the states right but the limits are, are what always got me the limit on contactless in in England is a lot lower than most other places. I think we can only spend uh, anything below thirty pounds. Really? Yeah. And and so what I really like about Apple Pay is what they're trying to do is make it so it's as easy as contactless, but the amount that you can do it with is a lot higher because there's a number of things that the bank needs in order to raise the limit. There's one rate almost for having a card and having the card holder. Right. That was what signature was it was proving that you both have the card and are the card holder and then chip and pin it was the same thing you know something that you use and and something or something that you have and something that you know and this just brings an additional element into that which is really nice which means that the the bank fees go way down on the provider which means that the accepted limit and and things that you use that card for go up which is really cool and i and i have to say as well you know we've used apple pay as an example but there are other payment methods out there that do a, a kind of similar thing and, and work in a similar way it's just this was the one that we chose to talk about i remember before apple pay was available in canada canada is another country where they've had touchless for quite some time and i remember going going across the border and being able to use apple pay in canadian grocery stores before any canadians were and i was sort of fascinated by that just that the underlying mechanisms behind touchless payments are what apple pay is built upon so it sort of comes down to agreements with the banks and the payment processors not so much on having to roll out new technology everywhere which i, I just think that that's a really interesting sort of angle on on where the holdup is on rolling out apple pay in certain places and with certain banks there's two ways to use my card that i really hate one of them is when they take it away. They don't do that here anymore. But in the States, when they take your card away, it's the scariest thing. Yeah. And then the other one is still happens here. Whenever you um, pay for something like a small business over the phone and you can hear that that's just a person typing that into their card machine. That's also pretty scary because they ask like they ask all the details, right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, we get I mean, and those those are two things that are very normalized here. When you go to a restaurant, the wait staff comes over, gives you a you know, sort of a billfold and you put your card in it and they take it away and they scan it and, and pay for it. And the same thing, you call up a place to pay a, a bill with a credit card. They ask for the the number, the verification code, the expiration, to, like everything that they would need to then use that card elsewhere. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not great. But it's also very normalized, which is why I think that um, fraud prevention 
like credit card companies have so much just basic fraud prevention baked in like it's it is absolutely nothing to them for you to call up and be like there's an unauthorized charge on my card and they'll go all right well we'll we'll cancel that charge and we'll give you a new card and then that's it like the card shows up two days later at your house i think this is a brilliant point to bring in our guest for this week all right which is from i would say my second favorite company apart from the one that i work for um (laughs) We have Daniel on the show, who is from Monzo, a bank in England, and he is uh, on the financial crime team. Oh, that's so awesome. We have some really, we have guests on this show with some of the coolest job titles. I love it. Okay, so joining us today, we have Daniel Chatfield from the financial crime team at Monzo. Daniel, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Do you want to give people a little bit of a background about yourself, introduce yourself, tell people uh, what you do at, at Monzo, maybe even a little bit of introduction about what Monzo is? So Monzo is a is a new bank in the UK. We were founded in 2015 um, and probably one of the first new banks in about 200 years in the UK. Um, and we really wanted to kind of almost revolutionize banking, um, start again, modern technology, um, really bring kind of what people expect from a, a, a modern company to banking. Um, and I was the the first intern at Monzo, and we weren't even called Monzo back then, um, and then joined full-time after I graduated from university uh, and have been there ever since and uh, have been in the financial crime team uh, my whole time here. Well, actually, the financial crime team didn't exist when I first joined, but as soon as it existed, uh, I was in it. So some of the things that kind of we do, real-time notifications, which are really simple, really, but it's most banks don't have them. Um, so every time you make a card transaction, you can see in real time uh, what you're spending. You can do everything in the app. You don't have to go to branches, um, make payments, change settings, order new cards. Everything's right through the app. You can freeze your card as well. So if you misplace it, you can temporarily freeze it. And then if you find it again, you can unfreeze it. And if you, if you don't find it, you can order a replacement. Yeah, that's kind of a, a summary of kind of what Monzo does. Well, that's that's really cool. Uh, so first first new bank in the UK in a couple hundred years. Uh, what what do you think the paperwork was like to get sort of uh, set up and be a legal entity for that? Yes. Well, yeah, it was. Um, I think it was two ring binders full of paper was uh, our first application. I believe it was submitted on the 24th of December, 2015. That's amazing. That's unreal. So. Monzo, very, very modern bank, everything done within the app. Uh, what kinds of things does Monzo bring to the table in terms of protecting its customers? That's a great question. There are lots of things that we kind of get without really trying just by virtue of being on modern technology. So those real-time notifications allow our customers to see um, fraudulent transactions way more quickly than than customers of other banks might. And that helps us because not only do the customers see that and have some kind of sense of security that if they do have fraud, they won't have to go looking in their statement to find it. They'll, they'll know about it. But also they then tell us about it so we can spot patterns more easily than, than other banks do. So what, one example of this was when, when Ticketmaster had a data breach. We detected that we believe Ticketmaster may have had a data breach. I think it was April the 6th last year. And a few days later, we were sufficiently confident that we contacted Ticketmaster to say, we've got quite a lot of evidence that you might have had a data breach. How can we help you look into this? They came to our offices a few times um, to set up conference calls. They said that they hadn't found any evidence of a data breach and they were going to effectively stop looking. 
We, we were pretty sure there was a data breach. So we replaced all of our customers' cards that had been used at Ticketmaster and set up some increased monitoring and alerting on cards that had been used at Ticketmaster to see that if we saw a spike of fraud, we can react more quickly to it. And then several months later in, in June, they, they finally admitted that they had had a data breach affecting several thousand UK customers. And so that's an example of where by having more real-time data and more easy access to kind of do analysis on that data, we're very easily able to spot a pattern before the rest of the industry. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, what kind of tooling do you guys use for actually spotting these uh, like fraudulent charges and stuff? Like, How much is it uh, human input to the system like from, from people at Monzo versus uh, just algorithms that are running and, and analyzing data? So back in April last year, it was more of the former. So on the 6th of April, we had a spike of fraud. So, so we had more of our customers claiming fraud than we would usually have. And it's, it's not a fairly stable thing anyway. So you expect a certain level of variability. Uh, but this was enough for us to look into because one specific merchant was being used to with these fraudulent cards. So we're initially looking at it from the angle of what can we do to increase our protection for transactions done via that merchant because they seem to be having more fraud than usual. But then we were like, how did these cards get compromised and started looking at it from that kind of angle? And I think on that day, it was something like 40% of the transactions that had been reported as fraudulent had been done on cards that had also had a Ticketmaster transaction um, compared to about 1% of like the ra- a random sample of cards, which is way more correlation than you would usually expect. However, correlation doesn't always mean causation. So for example, suppose someone had a, a kind of a card skimmer at a festival that Ticketmaster had provided the tickets for, you would then find a large correlation with Ticketmaster despite Ticketmaster not being the source of the breach. The real smoking gun for us was when we found a customer that had only done a handful of online transactions there were, were only a handful of places where it could have been compromised. And the Ticketmaster one, the customer had entered their expiry date incorrectly. So the transaction had been declined. And then on the fraudulent attempt, the same incorrect expiry date was used. <laughs> so nice. that to us was the, the smoking guns. This is now, this isn't just correlation. This is, this is the point of compromise. But coming back to your original question. So we are actually right now um, about to put something into production uh, which will automatically highlight merchants that we suspect might have had a, a data breach. So it's based on, I forget the name of the algorithm, it's an algorithm from an academic paper. Um, we've had to modify it slightly. So one of the things, the weaknesses in the algorithm was that it couldn't distinguish between merchants that had compromised the card and merchants that were used by fraudsters to turn compromised cards into, into goods. Because um, it was just looking effectively for correlation between merchants and cards that are compromised and if you have some merchant that all the fraudsters like to use, it would also appear in this list. And um, so we had to do some some work to uh, make it be able to distinguish between those those two. Oh, that's really cool. So that's going to feed back into the system to really start to direct your focus at certain merchants and certain breaches sort of as, as they're happening. That's really cool. Yeah. And it allows us to proactively replace cards that we think might have been compromised, but also feed that information back into MasterCard so that they can look into it. And with the same information, they can then disseminate it to all uh, card issuers saying this merchant has been breached. You may want to replace these cards. And we're, we're able to do that more quickly than MasterCard are usually 
because our customers tell us about the fraud way more quickly. So we can spot the patterns because MasterCard have to wait until the customers have reported it to their banks and the banks have reported it to MasterCard before they can even see the pattern. Uh, and typically for for one of the more traditional banks, uh, kind of the average time for a customer to notice they've been defrauded is, is somewhere in the region of 30 days. Whereas for us, it's almost always within 24 hours. Right. Yeah. Because usually it's it's at the point where you're you're reconciling your statement for the month, right? And you're sort of looking it over and saying, what what's that? But if you're if people are getting pinged in real time, like you said, uh, on their on their mobile devices, that's that's awesome. Like that's that's very actionable. So what do you think are the biggest threats that we're facing from financial crime today? And then beyond that, like how do we how do we protect ourselves against that? So within the UK, the largest thing right now, uh, which is a huge focus for both the regulators and the industry, is, is something called authorized push payment fraud, which is a really bad name, but but what it means is fraud where a, a customer gets tricked into sending money out of their account. So, so the customer is actually sending the money out of the account, but they're, they're tricked into sending it to either someone that is not who they thought they were sending it to, or like to give an example of some of these scams, they might receive a phone call uh, pretending to be HMRC, which is a tax authority in the UK, saying they need to pay their tax um, and people fall for it, or you might get invoice scam redirection. So you got um, someone might compromise the email provider of, for example, their solicitors, uh, and then send out uh, invoices to everyone in their address book with the attacker's bank details. So some of the things the industry are trying to do to kind of combat that, one scheme is called confirmation of payee. So currently in the UK, when you send a bank transfer, you type in the name of the person you believe you're paying, but that name field is is irrelevant. It's not validated against anything. Um, it's purely informational. Um, so one of the things that the banks are introducing is the scheme to allow the receiving bank to say, actually, the name doesn't match. So can you confirm with your customer? And we've been we've been implementing that kind of in the last couple of months. Um, the other banks are unfortunately are going to be a little bit behind us because it requires both parties to support it. Uh, it probably won't go live for a while. Uh, but we've been performing that kind of name checking on our inbound payments for about six months. So every time we receive a bank transfer, we compare the name against the, the account. And if the name doesn't match, that's a reasonably strong signal into our into our fraud system. But it, it's usually gratifying when you, you have some poor person that's been scammed out of their life savings often. And rather than saying, sorry, the money's gone, you may be able to say, oh, actually, our fraud system is able to, to freeze those funds and we've been holding them. And so now we can return them to you. Yeah, that's that's got to be a really good feeling. That's awesome. So are there any payment security tips that you can give to our listeners? Like what are what are some of like the the hard and fast rules for, you know, for instance, within in the in the password management game, it's always use a use a strong, unique password for every website. Right. Are there do you guys have a comparable one sort of in the financial circles? Yeah, I guess in general, it's just um, stay cautious. The reality of the situation is, unless unless you're really technical, you may well fall for certain scams and phishing websites, but just stay on guard for it. Uh, if you're unsure, ask someone. And also just be skeptical. Like if someone's asking you for your banking pin, is that something you should ever be giving out? If you received a text message, it's just be skeptical. Uh, it's just kind of a, a healthy level of paranoia, I guess. Um, but but don't take it too far. Like ultimately, fraud does and will happen, and uh, your bank should be there to to protect you if if it does happen to you. But um, it's it's quite difficult to give specific tips because the 
the scams are just really sophisticated. So, and they're getting more so. It is a never-ending battle. Like truly, it, it will. You you know, you guys will will gain some ground, and then the criminals will find a way to sort of work around it. It's just that, and that will never end. But I think you're right. Like the sort of the 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 a healthy dose of skepticism is always good. Well, Daniel, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we we appreciate you taking the time, and uh, have a good one. Cool. Bye. 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 So, Matt, Anna. Yeah. I think it's time for our uh, one, one of my favorite segments, um, the the newest segment on the show here, which is uh, what the phrase. Okay, so Rue. Yes. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So this is this is actually a very very common phrase. Like there's, I have heard, I've used this myself. Oh man. No, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, because because uh, it means I have a, a hope and a prayer of actually getting it right. And basically what it breaks down to is that the thing that you have is worth more than the thing that you might go hunting for. So uh, the thing that you might want or, or the thing that you might be striving to get. If you apply it to, to gambling, the, you know, the hand of poker you just won and the money you got from that is, is worth more than potentially gambling it on the, away on the next hand. I think that's a perfect explanation. Unfortunately, we didn't we didn't get you with that one. But uh, next week, yeah, that was good. I mean, it's it's a fun thing to say, and it always makes sort of people look twice. But um, it's always more funny when you don't know them, Ray. I know. Well, listen, you gotta get you gotta get me more. Uh, gotta get smarter. You gotta ask me more about how my mother's doing off the drippings, and that's that's when I'm gonna you know those those are the ones that stump me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think that's all for this week. Wonderful. All right, love you guys. Happy birthday, Rue. Love you, Rue. Happy Thank birthday. Thank you. <laughs> that was a pathetic little <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs>